0: Hello and welcome to Sleeper 2021, a series of conversations with the major players in the world of hospitality, experience and design. We head today to wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen to talk to the founders of a design studio that describes its approach as poetic modernism and applies this across multiple disciplines from interiors, art direction and product design. Their hotel portfolio stretches from work at the D'Angleterre and the SAS Royal, both in Copenhagen, to the Stratford in London and the Eleven Howard in Manhattan. Eleven Howard was a winner three times over at Ironhead Awards in America, Lobby and Public Spaces, The Terrace Suite, and the Restaurant category for Le Cuckoo. And restaurants are a large part of their portfolio, with Geranium, Geist, and the original Noma amongst just three of their many restaurants in their home city. Just back from their summer break, today we are joined by the founders of Space Copenhagen, Signe Binslev Henriksen and Peter Bungard-Rutso. Today we'll be exploring the things that have shaped their success, their design style, and the challenges of working across cultures. I'm Guy Dietrich, editor-at-large of Sleeper Magazine, and this is the Sleeper 2021 podcast series. Welcome, Sinja and Peter. Thank you for joining great, us. Great to be here. Thank, Thank you uh, so much. Yeah.
1: Nice to see you. Super. Let's,
0: let's just um, start a little bit at the beginning, not right at the beginning, but um, you studied together um, architecture at the, uh, the Royal Danish Academy of Architecture in Copenhagen. Um, and after graduating, you basically went into competition with each other by setting up your own studios uh, before, in 2005, uh, joining forces to found Space uh, Copenhagen. What shaped your success? Was it the combination of the two of you or, or, or how, did, how did that work out?
1: <laughs> well i mean that that's a great question but I, I think for sure that we were we were sincerely lucky at the same time as uh, as we probably also had a lot of energy um uh, we simply sort of got out of school with uh, sort of a huge appetite on on uh, doing sort of smaller scale architecture and uh, sort of uh, diving into the more sort of uh, interior oriented projects, because that was what we were at that time also capable of doing because we were small studios. And uh, and at the same time, uh, a lot of things happened in Copenhagen. The, the city was fueled by a lot of... Uh, very creative people, both within the fashion business, but also obviously within the food scene, and uh, and we were super lucky that we somehow uh, sort of very very fast grew into being sort of a uh, a component in this uh, in this evolution in in the city.
2: I think also sometimes you know somehow it was like. Um there was a certain sort of portion of, of naivety that was uh, actually a, a huge sort of driving factor. I mean, none of us has actually been out working for anyone else. So it, it was it was our environment, sort of our network that fueled opportunity. And we had this kind of idea that uh, we could do this uh, without having tried any of it. So we also jumped right into it at the very beginning. And, and I think, you know, taking that chance just... Uh, Going forward without really knowing what it implies has certainly also been been a part of this whole run that we've been through, and we might as well have but gone say, completely wrong. But uh, <laughs> you
0: know, yeah, the chances you take. Were there any tipping points in 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 that path, that early path?
1: Yeah, I think I think there were sort of quite a lot of small tipping points actually, and and they also sum up to become a, a huge tipping point at some point. But I think I think that I mean when you're an architect. You you need people to trust in you uh, because you can't really you can't really uh, sort of explore it yourself unless you have a lot of money. Uh, so the thing is that you that you that you somehow need to convince somebody that you have a good idea or that they somehow trust you to be a part of a project because it always involves quite a lot of uh, money. And uh, and the thing is that. Uh, that when you're young and you are unproven, then, then somebody needs to take that first chance. And I think it was, uh, I mean, we, we did a lot of projects uh, around the city, also projects that, are, that uh, no longer exist and uh, projects that still exist, actually, but that haven't had the same focus as, uh, let's say, uh, some of the sort of more uh, uh, worldwide known projects today. But the thing is that at that point already some people had sort of put some trust in us and that led us to sort of uh, the new uh, projects that uh, suddenly became very famous and uh, uh, for also different reasons than the design. So I think I think uh, a little bit step by step it was a uh, it was all about tipping points in the beginning.
2: But I think, you know, it's what, what happened at that time was that that people were, at that point, people would go to the big sort of international metropolitan states to seek adventure, you know, to have a high level of cuisine, to have a high level of art, to have a high level of sort of creative confrontation, if you will. And, and I think what was the common denominator at that point was there was sort of a reversal. There was this appetite of saying, even though, we've traveled, we'd like to bring this experience with us back. So that was certainly what defined uh, the, the food culture at that point with sort of the high-end cuisine, insisting that, look, we have these amazing restaurants for the 20th century and the big capitals, and there's no reason why we shouldn't have this here. And the same was sort of implied into the fashion scene. There's this insistence of bringing a, a level to our home turf if you will and and certainly some of our fashion clients were were quite forward in, in insisting on this and as the, the gastronomy kind of took off it's certainly that that we got uh, engaged with uh, Rene and his team and the Norma and the other sort of high end restaurants uh, all of a sudden brought international attention and and certainly was a way it was a little bit you know, unintentional. In fact, it wasn't. It wasn't the plan. It was just the sheer appetite of working and solving the problems with, with the design-related problems to make these spaces. But at the end of the day, you could definitely say that this tendency sort of manifested into these projects were our sort of stepping stone into working internationally, which is kind of a little bit ironic because we were we were seeking to bring an international element back home. So it, it kind of ripped reversed itself
0: somehow. The description you have on your website of your work is poetic modernism. Um, what, what does this actually mean to you guys, poetic modernism? I think it's
2: it's, it's something there is, we talked about it before, but there is, there is certainly sort of a consistent duality in the way we regard things, that we work a lot with contrast. But this specific phrase sort of has the, I mean, we're born out of the 20th century and the modernistic sort of approach, this way of treating things uh, to optimize to place function and practicality as an element to order things to put them into patterns and optimization sort of de- defines the modern state but one of the things we talk a lot about is that that outside sort of an ism there is a human factor there is a an, an element of intuition that uh, that that has a different kind of language, if you may. It's sort of, it's it's best explained by perhaps not words, by 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 feeling it, by sensing it. So that's the poetic quality that there is a certain truth in something uh, that you uh, receive through your senses before your brain puts words on it. The theoretical approach that we dwelled into during the you know the years of study had very much to do with the organization of space and and i think what we were kind of missing a little bit in that equation was the experience of space and when you think about what is an experience you you sort of have to apply your whole sensory equipment you have to you have to realize that both sound and smell and touch are very much a part of it even even if you don't necessarily apply your conscious thought about what it is, it still sort of composes the, the complexity of the experience. And especially, I mean, restaurants is, is a good is a good example because you know it's it's the purpose of going for a restaurant is is twofold. It's sort of it's it's a it's a taste, it's a nutrition. You use a certain part of your physics to, to understand it. But it's also a social, exactly, it's also a, it's also a social occasion. You, you interpolate with other people, you sort of step out of your sphere and, and interact, and to truly understand and to, to build an atmosphere around it, you have to apply all these more soft values that are not just a, a question of arrangement
0: but, it, but it is, it is, arrangement is a big part of that and, and talking to Andrea about uh, the work at, your work at the blonde uh, at 11 Howard uh, she said the first thing she said it's very sexy and the first but the first thing is that makes it sexy is the design and within the design it's all the materiality and the color palette and the textual uh, contrasts and what have you but then it comes down to the scent the uniforms. Um, the the art composition and all these things and and are, how much are you trying to do all of those things?
1: It's obvious that we're interested in all of these layers because it's yeah. all of these layers that that sort of ends up being the uh, the experience. But I must say that Anda was probably the person who uh, who taught us about how to uh, approach uh, hotel design. I mean, we had done. Uh, one or two projects before uh, and we knew of course about how to arrange a hotel room and stuff like that but she was so incredibly clever not just in how the whole thing needs to flow and organize but also to understand the the need for this layering to make the experience complete so it's not about leaving sort of the room uh, half finished without the without the little bowl, uh, which uh, which intuitively is the place where you place the keys or your coins from uh, the day uh, the day's walk on the uh, in Manhattan or whatever it is. All these small components. She was so clever in making us understand sort of the importance of all of these sort of gestures, if you may, uh, that that are. Uh, both within the lighting, within the scale of the spaces, but also the very small tactile elements in the rooms, uh, she put so much attention into that, and sort of uh, was a was a huge sort of uh, mentor for us in the process of uh, of creating uh, Eleven Howard.
2: But I think you know it's, the blonde is kind of interesting because it's kind of what what you do very often is that before you actually do the design, you put together sort of a. Uh, we call it a mood and tone, it could be called a lot of other things, but it, it's sort of a, a composition of intents that is represented in pictures, but also in words and stuff. And the funny thing is that, you, you know, you haven't designed the place, but you declare, you know, a target, what it is you want to achieve. And, and the thing about the blonde is that, you know, it's, it's, it's also an escape. It's, it's, a, it's a space within the hotel that complements the hotel. But it also ins- insists on being its own space. And the, the thing about it is that in the after hours, it sort of transcends into its own identity. And it is indeed all these layers that need to work as trigger elements to put whoever enters in a certain state of mind that makes them dive into the experience and sort of transcend their normal sort of boundary uh, sort of limitations. And that is, that is what... Uh, you know a, a late night bar optimally seeks to to do so it's it's it is all of it and we've had a long discussions about you know we we have some very sexy artworks uh the lighting the light, the whole light philosophy about how to program the light is of you know huge importance and I would even say you know we had trial and error on the softness of the couch to say how do people slouch here should we make it slightly softer because it's this kind of bar there's so much trial and error going back but you keep you keep saying up against what so it's this novel idea that you formulate in the beginning you you, you need to keep a rock steady f- belief that that is the direction you want to take things, because you use that as a sort of index when you put all these layers together.
0: The other thing that really appealed to me was this uh, this lobby that was a very sort of um, she called it a sculptural garden, uh, and some of the sculptures are yours. There's a, a, a large sort of um, curving metal screen. Uh, there's also a colder mo- mobile mobile on the on the roof uh, instead of a chandelier, for example. Um, how, how did you know? How did that come about? How did you? Deal with and get your way on those things, or, or was it not a question of getting your way, but more just a, a natural progression?
1: But I, but I think I think the the wonderful uh, thing about this project was that uh, A.B. Rosen and Ander for sure wanted to to create something uh, different, which was not already in Manhattan. That was basically the brief. Not necessarily that it should look uh, or be Scandinavian in in any which way, but but that it was something different than what Manhattan could offer uh, uh, at that moment. And the thing was that we we wanted to somehow uh, introduce a sort of a different kind of luxury uh, than uh, what sort of the American perception would normally be, uh, which would be much more sort of... Uh, facing towards uh, trends and marbles and expensive materials and things more that more lush and uh, and more sort of urban in a way uh, sort of more sort of broadly urban and and uh, and and we wanted to somehow see if we could um, if we could echo this idea of uh, the materials being the precious uh, elements rather than sort of. Uh, uh, the brand of the fixture in the bathroom, uh, that it was much more sort of a delicate way of looking at sort of uh, all of these elements and, and that they are crafted and that they are bespoke for this place rather than be sort of chasing uh, a specific uh, rich look. And, uh, and, uh, and that, in a way, felt very new to that place.
2: I think, you know, it's also when you start working, certain other interesting things happen because uh, the ground floor lobby, we, as it turned out, our, our first suggestion was to have more a lobby that had, you know, seating opportunity and different. But it turned out that there were so, certain code issues related to the area that forced us to have the space as more transitional space. And we, we were saying, well, how, how can we achieve something that has an element of wonder and coziness and still not keep it as a permanent uh, place for dwelling. So we moved the actual reception upstairs. And then this idea of the proportions of the space in itself pointed towards four columns already being there. They became the first elements of this sculpture garden. And then we added in geometric elements to regard it as a a three-dimensional composition. And then I I think, you know, A.B. Rosen being a huge art collector, we we had a, a walkthrough with him one day and it was it was more like a joke that, you know, we were saying, Should we put in a chandelier? Should we and there was just like, Well, we can put in like, you know, a Murano chandelier or another chandelier or something. It yeah. was more like a, a joke. Well, the, the, the perfect thing would actually be one of the large scale colors, the mobilis, because it would have the animation in it. And it was it was more, you know, just as a joke. And then a week later he sent a picture, something like this. And uh, we ended up with uh, a rather expensive piece of art in the ceiling.
0: But how how lucky we, yeah, we exactly. were! That we we were were really was really <laughs> lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: yeah, that was and, a tipping to, point to,
0: as well. <laughs> <laughs> And and I noticed there, there's a, a very nice spiral staircase, which is a sort of sculptural in its own way, which leads you up to the actual lobby itself in the hotel. Uh, because of this coding issue, um, in other of your projects, I also see a spiral staircase. That's the Arne Jacobsen um, SAS uh, Royal, or more correctly, the Radisson Collection Royal Hotel. Um, uh, you didn't do that staircase, but you did some work in that hotel. Um, what was the scope of your work there? I mean, it's, it 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 it
2: it was kind of a, a little bit of you know uh, a tricky project for us because it's i mean we had there are so many looking back in history so many people that have defined uh you know certain certain wondrous projects within architecture and design but one of our local heroes here indeed is annie jacobs and then the sas royal was one of the first sort of boutique hotels and and in many ways he's one of our sort of the, certainly one of the the people from our, our hemisphere that we've been looking up to and it's 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 also a partially listed building and so many of his uh, design elements originate from this so it's the originality the of this swan, project yeah the
0: all these yeah it was project. it was sort of a massive no task. no one said it was going to be easy though didn't no. they no. and it and it, <laughs> <and> it, <and laughs> it was <laughs> <laughs> following in those footsteps is always going to be yeah. a challenge uh, but I like I like that there' there was a slight change there in in some of the things I saw um just to sort of move it on um sort of the the, the the pink chairs for example there's a, there's a sort of greenish room which I know is one of his favorite colors um, and you put a couple of pink chairs in and then there's sort of these uh, burnt Sienna orangey sort of uh, burnt orange mm-hmm. chairs in in the in amongst mm-hmm. a sort of a fairly monochromatic um, uh, uh, background of of, of yours um, so that was that. Was that a new departure for you, or it, it seems you know, this, this this use of color? It just
1: felt. I mean, because we we can we can we, we have a tendency to go very sort of, uh, uh, douche in our color palette and very natural in our color palette. And somehow he has been sort of in the forefront of introducing color and pattern uh, into modern architecture in a very beautiful manner. And and uh, the color palette in the hotel sort of. Uh, as it, as it is still and was originally was very sort of subdued and very sort of clean, uh, white, black, uh, brown, brown, uh, brown wood. And... Uh, and then he had a lot of color. Uh, and, uh, and we somehow wanted to, I mean, we thought a lot about what would he do if he were in our shoes today? And the thing was that we, we were certain that he wouldn't just try to mimic whatever he would have done at that time. He would have uh, thought a little bit ahead and he would have challenged uh, the original design. And he would have, uh, I mean, at least that's how we think, he would have thought uh, to 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 make it uh, to make it a space suitable for a modern lifestyle uh, with all the components and new sort of uh, uh, digital uh, elements and uh, and rhythms that we have brought into our lives and uh, and uh, rituals etc. So so that was basically sort of our constant. Uh, yeah, uh, voice in the back of uh, our heads, you know, that, that he, he would have been daring and, uh, and, and we tried to, to somehow follow along these lines.
0: One of the challenges you've had was the Stratford in London, uh, uh, an amazing building by SOM, uh, sort of uh, the sky terraces cut out cantilevered and what have you. Um, that's quite a project. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what, you, what you got up to then.
2: I think I think that is that is such a, a different. Uh, well, the problem there was that it was it was in a part of London that was. I mean, some sometimes very often we we try to read, uh, you know, if there is a narrative already existing in a place, if there is something that we can use, that we can rewrite, that we can, you know distill into sort of corner elements that we use to anchor our story but the truth about Stratford was that it was it had been pretty much what was there had pretty much been torn down uh coinciding with the Olympics so so it was it was you know it was like starting over in a new neighborhood that had it, it hadn't really settled in yet so so, so it was sort of the complete opposite of working downtown um, Manhattan, where you have sort of the immense energy of Soho that you can you, you can kind of utilize. Here, we were sort of saying, well, how do we define this? So we were very much having discussions about how do you create new neighborhoods? What's important? What kind of energy? What kind of human qualities do we need for interaction into it so it became very much sort of almost an ethnological anthropologic sort of investigation at the very beginning before we started sort of looking too much into the design sort of deciding on what what is what shall we achieve how do we want people to, to behave how do we want the place to contribute to the neighborhood because uh, that was indeed one of the uh, ambitions for, for Harry, who is the, the owner, to that this place should become mm-hmm. such a, a beacon mm-hmm. in, the, in, a, in an urban context for this environment.
0: Yeah, it's, they, they talk about it being a, a vertical vertical village yeah. or, or vertical living space. And, it, and it's, I think, one of the anchors, really, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a great new future for, for Stratford. There's a big uh, transport hub underneath, underneath the, the hotel or the building. The building's mixed use anyway. I think there's residential in there, um, offices and what have you. Um, but let's, let's dive, dive into the, the hotel spec and what you did there. Tell us about what was going on inside um, Stratford for, for you guys.
1: Yeah, well, I think, uh, I think uh, as Peter just mentioned, it was a huge challenge because the scale of the city and the sort of uh, in the area was so uh, enormous and, uh, and felt uh, in, in many ways also at that point slightly alienating when you walked around in that area. I mean, as all sort of areas are when they, uh, when they have not been populated yet. And uh, I think what, what we tried to do, sort of in the in the sort of initially in the structure, was to create this sense of uh, of a small community. Uh, we we uh, we were entering this enormous triangular space from uh, from two angles, which allowed us to somehow. Uh, uh, Experienced this uh, this ground floor, which was uh, was in three levels, uh, had an enormous ceiling height as a as a as a plaza, like like a plaza you would find uh, in a small uh, South European city. And we would start dividing it. Uh, we had the facade sort of uh, uh, holding back the rest of the building, but still uh, creating these small pockets within the space around the big fireplace. To somehow um, to somehow anchor this uh, need for the human scale and the, the coziness, as we also mentioned earlier uh, earlier on, this this little uh, accent of uh, poetic modernism that you uh, that you also need to to find and hold on to when you when you enter such a relatively uh, uh, dominant space as as this was.
0: But then I think if you look in the guest rooms where you were shortlisted in the, the uh, Head Europe Awards uh, a few years yes, ago. Yes, and thank um, you so a, uh, much
1: uh, for participating in your amazing uh, project.
0: <laughs> well, you, you can you can tell us a little bit about your experience as a judge because we then got you on board as yes. a judge uh, subsequently. Thank you to that. for that. Um, but the the, um, the 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 guest rooms there uh, are, are, are very uh, elegant. Um, feminine, I would almost say. Um, There's touches of of peachy pink and uh, mauve on the bedspreads or or a chair, for example. And again, these sort of pops of color um, are are coming out again. Was that a hangover from from the the Arne Jacobson project, or is this just a new way that uh,
1: space (laughs) might be going? Um, It's uh, Ander who has taught us that we always need a little bit of color. (laughs) no i think we also felt that that uh, these uh, that the rooms also needed their own identity in a way that the that the that the hotel as such was sort of a, also a layering of privacy basically and uh, and when you are in the in the hotel room you're in the heart of the most private part of the hotel and uh, and we wanted that to feel soft and embracing and uh, sort of filled with uh, Pieces of furniture that were not necessarily sort of um, related in in the sense that they were uh, sort of uh, uh, drawn as a part of the same concept, but more like collected items as you would find in in your own home. So it was very much about trying to curate this as a small composition of colors and textures, and uh, and still with very sort of modern but soft curves that, that would feel warm and tactile uh, while staying there. So um, yeah. it was an exercise in, in trying to sort of add the, the layer of privacy within this sort of uh, huge um, building.
0: We have our awards, the AHEAD uh, Awards, the uh, uh, awards for hotel experience and design. Uh, Senya, you've um, been a judge for the last couple of years in Europe. Um, can you just tell us in a few words uh, about your experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think actually, uh, and thank you so much for for that. Uh, it's been a, an amazing experience uh, all the time, uh, or all the times. And and I would say that it, it's as a as a sort of as a as an architect and and uh, sort of professional yourself. It's such. Uh, it's like uh, it's like going back to school it's like uh, diving into sort of all these universes of uh, of different approaches which I feel is uh, is one of the most sort of um, eye-opening things uh, when you work as an architect because it's it's uh, it's so easy basically to fall into the trap of of having have defined your own universe and defined your own rules to how to approach uh uh, sort of ideas and uh, and uh, and and these sort of opportunities give you the possibility of moving yourself a little bit and pushing yourself and your own sort of uh, perceptions of things. And I, I think uh, I think that's I mean, as well as it's a really good thing to be two people uh, that you constantly are in, in some kind of a dialogue uh, 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 with on all these different uh, interesting topics that so much relate to sort of how we human uh, beings uh, interact. I think uh, uh, it's, it's the same sort of challenge uh, these uh, competitions and these evaluations of amazing projects all over the world that, that they somehow uh, bring to the table. So um, it's, it's a super interesting exercise.
0: Let's move on uh, finally to your, 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 your upcoming projects. Uh, I know you have uh, one in Porto and one in Tokyo. Perhaps you can give us a quick overview on, on, on each of those uh, and then we can we can sort of wrap up as to how uh, maybe you deal with working in two completely different cultures. Um, P- Peter, can you take that? Yeah, me?
2: sure. I mean, there, there are two, two quite completely different projects. One, the one in Porto is very, very small project aiming extremely high in the market but it's sort of located uh within the unesco listed city center so it's it's about as impractical as it can be it's like everything but beautiful it is is so beautiful beautiful. and it's it's a conversion of five buildings that have that we're putting together and transforming completely but in, in huge dialogue with the city, uh, the city council about what can be allowed and the expression, especially from from the exterior point of view. But it's 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 a very small hotel with about uh, with about 20 rooms, uh, high-expiring food and beverage um, experience. But I think the really interesting uh, aspect of this is that the owners are sort of having a vision of this place being something that strides, really seeks to engage with the city. So they are, they are fueling a lot of dialogue with different cultural people, with a lot of different artists around the area. So we're sort of always trying to look for how can we engage with the tradition? How can we engage with local craft? How can we engage with local experience uh, into solving sort of the composure of this project? On the reverse scale, the, the project in Tokyo is a new build in uh, an uber ambitious project that I, I think is programmed to phase one is to complete in 2056, where they initiate phase two. So it's, it's a completely different uh, kind of thinking. And um,
0: but I think your, your tower is due to be completed. Twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah. So. <laughs> So we don't have to wait that long. No, to see your- no, no. So we're just a
2: small part of this, obviously. But it's just to explain that the whole energy of this project, this this uh, extremely large scale ambition, this cross generational idea of of our transformation, is 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 also very very interesting. It's just the complexity of it is of a completely different nature. And then, of course, being Japanese, it's it's very very thorough. It's very very sort of. Everything is very, very considered. Uh, everything is very meticulous in its uh, moving through the project phases. The energy of it is of a completely different nature.
1: Uh, as just as sort of as a comparison, it took us eighteen months to complete uh, the Eleven Howard, and when we are done with this project, it has taken seven and a half years.
0: Yes. Uh, um and it did say that the 11 hard was a very quick it, it was a very quick I, I
2: remember it was a just,
1: very steep learning curve for was, us. i remember
2: <laughs> i remember anda called us one day at our studio we're at a different location we had a conversation and then we agreed that we would speak in a week then we spoke and then she says well that's it i expect to see you in new york in a week <laughs> And this is in the middle of the summer vacation, so plans yeah. change slightly.
0: Your poetic modernism is going to be stretched. I need to wrap because um, that's that, really. We've, you've got to get on. You've got stuff to do. We do. Um, and it sounds like you're busy, which is great. So thank you very much for taking some time out of your day today uh, to be with us. We really, really appreciate that. Um, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It was a
1: pleasure. Me. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Many thanks to Signe and Peter at Space Copenhagen for joining us for this episode of Sleeper 2021. Post-production of this episode is by James Green at Green Podcast Productions with promotion by Eleanor Howard. I'm Guy Dietrich. Thank you very much for listening.